It's my privilege this morning to welcome a guest preacher, a friend of mine, Pastor Juliette Liu, who is the co-lead pastor at Life on the Vine Church, not far from us in Long Grove. You might remember Pastor Juliette. She joined us last year at some point, maybe in May, for our um, session on reading the Bible with Asian American <clears throat> Christians. Uh, Juliet also works with Madison, Dr. Madison and I for Gifted and Called, and she's someone I um, really have enjoyed getting to know better. We overlapped in seminary, but not very much. So I'm thrilled to hear the word that Juliet has to bring for us today. I ask that you welcome her with me. <laughs> but you don't have to. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. I bring greetings to you from my own community, uh, Life on the Vine in Long Grove, as Amanda said. Um, over the years, it's been a joy to get to know this community here at Redeemer, uh, not just as neighbors, but as friends, um, as like-minded followers of Jesus here in the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, we've enjoyed partnering with you for things like the winter clothing drive and uh, gathering in prayer and lament for racial injustice at a park nearby. So it is an honor to be here with you in person this morning. Uh, a special thank you to everyone here who made it through the snow. Um, and it's always an honor to, to worship with fellow witnesses of our risen Lord. And so today we come to hear the good news preached on this third Sunday in Epiphany. Now in the Gospel reading today, the version we reread re together recalls the words of Jesus saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I love uh, Eugene Peterson's rendering of this verse for this season of Epiphany, the season in which we celebrate the light of the world revealed in the darkness. Eugene Peterson's version reads, God's spirit is on me to announce this is God's time to shine. This is God's time to shine. I love that translation for our season of Epiphany. Because it is God's light, we seek to illuminate the scriptures for us today. Because it is God's presence with us here, awakening our hearts to the inbreaking of his kingdom. I say to you, the Lord be with you. Pray with me. Guide us. O oh God, by your word and by your Holy Spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> the year is 1993. A shy, exceedingly awkward girl begins her eighth grade year. She is one of only two Asian Americans at her middle school in Nebraska of 500 students. Um, yes, this is a story about me. At the beginning of eighth grade, I had not yet reached a height of five feet. 
I wore a pair of new glasses that I was very excited to pick out at the optical center. They were large, red plastic frames with thick, thick, thick lenses. Uh, the family photographer lined my sisters and I up for our family picture. And to my oldest sister, he turned to with a smile and said, you must be the pretty one in the family. And as he turned his attention to me, I swear he faltered a little bit. He paused and he said, and you, hmm, you must be the smart one. And by eighth grade, I had learned my place in the middle school world. I was not the very bottom, but definitely close to it in the social hierarchy of, you know, middle school. Enter into the scene, Steve Graves. Steve was another eighth grader. Steve was very cool. I wouldn't say he was categorized as a popular kid or a jock or a nerd. He was somehow above the normal middle school cliques and politics. Steve was liked by all. He had a way of making people laugh, but he never made people laugh at other people. He never made people laugh at the expense of anyone else. And for some reason, for some reason, I still to this day can't understand. Steve, this easygoing, funny guy that everyone liked, took me under his wing. He'd sit with me in the classes we shared. He'd breeze in, glance at me, and come up with some new nickname for the day. Hey, Jules. Hey, Jujubee. My favorite was, hey, little Lou. Now, about halfway through the year, I got caught in my science class doing a rather sassy impression of my science teacher to one of my friends. It did not end well. My teacher caught me in the act, walked over to me with his teeth clenched, and slammed down a detention slip on my table. It was my first detention ever. My face burned with shame, knowing I had been caught being pretty disrespectful to my teacher. My ears were red with embarrassment from being called out so publicly. And as I left class that day, I was in tears. And I remember Steve passed me in the hallway right after that class, and he saw my face, and he said, oh, no, what's wrong? What happened? And I told him about my detention, and he smiled, and he said, oh, little Lou, don't worry. I get detentions every week. I'll be sure to get one today, and we can just sit together after school. And then he ruffled the top of my head. Now, I had just received my first detention, suffered public humiliation, but after Steve's show of generous affection, everything was right and good in the world. For some reason, unbeknownst to me, I was the recipient of Steve's favor. Me, shy, awkward, four foot 11 me with the big red glasses. For some reason, this witty, well-liked person chose to befriend me. It broke all of the rules of middle school social interaction. And as confused as I was over why that would be true, 
this was a gift. It was a gift to me in these middle school years. Middle school is hard for everyone. Uh, but Steve didn't know this. Middle school in particular was an especially dark time in my life for me. And his friendship, his favor toward me was a gift. I wonder when you have experienced something like that. I wonder when you've experienced someone's favor with you. One way to define favor is overgenerous, preferential treatment. It's kindness without explanation, given freely and ungrudgingly. It's a welcome when you expected none. In the Bible, it's closely associated with grace and mercy. Being the recipient of favor can create a sense of awe and humility in us. Who am I to receive this favor? Why? Why me? Maybe for you, you felt this favor when an important person took the time to get to know you and your gifts or your story. Maybe for you, it was when you were entrusted with something and you wondered, who am I to be trusted with this? When a friend who has known you a long time has known you long enough to have seen and experienced your shortcomings and your faults, decides anyway to keep choosing you as a friend. You know, these experiences of favor may seem small or trivial, but I think they point us to a greater truth. They point us to the generous, overflowing favor that God extends to us. Now, Steve's friendship toward me broke the middle school social hierarchical rules, and that's what God's favor does. It comes into a world where things seem straightforward. These people are in and these people are out. These people are the ones I mix with and these people are not. These people are the ones who deserve good things and these people don't. But God's favor breaks into that world, breaks into those rules and sets us free releases us for something new, reorganizes us. And so today the good news we proclaim is the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus declares this is the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> now in our Old Testament reading for today, the people have assembled at the entrance to the city of Jerusalem. They've returned from their long exile in Babylon, their home, but in the many years of exile, they have forgotten who they are. And so Ezra gathers them, and there in the presence, all of the men and women together, Ezra and others read the Torah to the people from early in the morning to midday, perhaps six hours or so. So if you think this is a long church service, just imagine being on your feet for six hours hearing the word of the Lord read aloud. Now, the law of Moses is not just read that day, it is taught. Taught in such a way that the people don't just hear an ancient text, but it's taught in a way that makes sense of their own contemporary location. Three times in the passage, the word understanding is used. Ezra reads to both men and women all who could hear with understanding. They help the people to understand the Torah. They gave sense to the people to understand. 
It was not enough to read the scroll out loud and merely hear it with their ears, nor was it enough to read the scroll and simply remember what it meant for the people back in Moses' time. No, the word of God had to be proclaimed afresh into their time, into their place, into their experience to bring about understanding. And so Ezra and the other priests bring the old text of Moses forward, forward to their present moment of faith. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann refers to this as reading the Bible forward. He writes, the biblical text is not a fixed absolute. It is a lively text, a lively text that surges into the present with both assurance and demand. The Bible is one we read forward into today. And in our gospel reading, we have a major example of reading forward by Jesus himself. Jesus not only reads out loud the ancient text of Isaiah, he allows it to surge into his time, to be proclaimed anew into his day, his hometown, into himself. Jesus has come back home to Nazareth. It is the Sabbath day, and so he goes to the synagogue as is the custom. And because he is a rabbi who has become fairly well-known in recent days, he is given the honor of reading scripture. And while the scroll of Isaiah is selected for him, the language of Luke seems to indicate that Jesus chooses this specific passage himself, that he searches for it in the large scroll he is handed. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, it would have been difficult for Jesus to choose a more revolutionary passage. Isaiah 61 is a glorious message in its original context, asserting that God's liberating spirit comes on a messenger to bring good news for the oppressed, for the brokenhearted, for the captives, for the prisoners. This was read beautifully by the young woman who did the children's sermon. I don't know, is she still here? Actually, after she did her sermon, I was like, I don't feel like I don't have to preach. Um, of course, preachers always say that, and then they preach anyway. So, <laughs> The news to them that morning in Nazareth is the year of the Lord's favor. God's over-generous, preferential treatment flowing into a world with its straightforward rules of who deserves good things and who doesn't, of who belongs and who doesn't, and reversing those rules, turning them upside down, declaring favor instead for those who don't have the resources to help themselves, for the prisoners in prison because they did not pay their debts, for the blind and the picked on and the powerless, the subjugated and the undeserving favor from God on high. And Jesus rolls the scroll back up, sits down, and with every eye on him, says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled 
in your hearing. So Jesus is saying the scripture is not only about what God was doing back in Isaiah's time, it is about today. The scripture is not only about those people from long ago, it is about you and me. It is about what God is doing here and now. Today, today is the year of the Lord's favor. Now you probably already know that this language of favor harkens back to the language of jubilee, which is mentioned in Leviticus. Every 50th year was to be consecrated as a year of jubilee, a year of release for all the peoples of the land, a year when all debts would be canceled. All slaves or bonded servants were to be set free. Any property, which was often only sold in desperation, was to be returned to its original owners, and the land would be allowed a year of rest. Now, the Gospel of Luke and its second part, the book of Acts, can be read through that lens of Jubilee because it is Jesus and then later his disciples announcing Jubilee, bringing liberation from sickness, both physical, spiritual, and societal, and demonstrating God's favor to the unlikeliest of people. The year of the Lord's favor. Now, just a few weeks ago, we ushered in a new year. Um, And some folks I know, as a new year practice, uh, are in the habit of choosing a word for their year. Does anyone here do that? Does anyone choose a word for their year? What are some of the things you chose? You did? Oh. So it's the thing here. Oh, they didn't get to choose. All right. Well, this is, I mean, so, so you're aware of this practice, to choose a word to go along with that year. Um, it's not a habit I've cultivated myself, but I have many friends who have done this over the years. Um, what does it mean to choose a word for that year? It means to set an intention for that year, to be characterized by that word. Right? To, make, to commit to devoting one's own efforts, discipline, and imagination to cultivate that thing all year long. Well, sometimes they bind that word on a bracelet or a necklace to wear the whole year. Did you guys do something like that? Stars, okay. <laughs> but there's some, you know, physical reminder to draw them again and again and again to that word. Um, some people may choose hope or resilience or laughter. But the word is chosen to indicate what kind of year it is to be. The word is chosen to indicate what will I give the fullness of my resources and attention to in this coming year? Well, when Jesus chooses a word for his new year, and please know I'm not just saying a calendar year, but the whole new era that he is ushering in, when Jesus chooses a word for that year, what is the word that characterizes that year? Favor. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus declares this is the year of the Lord's favor. The Spirit is upon me to bring release and liberation, all to demonstrate the year of the Lord's favor. And so just as Ezra 
And the priests read the word of God aloud that day, read it forward into their present lives. And just as Jesus read forward the words of the prophet Isaiah into his day, into his mission, into Nazareth, what does it mean for us to read this text forward into our day, into our lives, into the northern suburbs of Chicago? How can we allow Christ's jubilee mission to surge into the present, to give form to the way we work and organize our communities and economics, the way we relate to others and to God? Jesus announces to us today, this is the year of the Lord's favor, and this is not just a summons to receive God's favor ourselves. Because to open your arms to receive this favor is to also open your arms to release that favor towards others. This is a summons not just to receive, this is a summons to conversion. It is a summons to reimagine a world, to be a place not full of the things that crush us, like enslaving debt and oppression, but a place of liberation and restoration. And so into a world where the lines are sometimes very clearly drawn about who is in and who is out, about who deserves good things and who does not. We, who are the recipients of God's generous favor to us in Christ, are now brought along on this mission to break those rules, to carry forth this season of God's hospitality to the human race. Now, what does that look like? in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our communities. Well, I think on an interpersonal level, we are to be a people characterized by generous grace and hospitality. You know, sometimes it is the simple, everyday act of friendship that demonstrates the good news of Jubilee in our schools and our places of work. Friendship that crosses those lines of who is in and who is out, of who is important and who is not, of who deserves that friendship, and who doesn't. On a societal level, this mission of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor challenges us to think of a social and economic reality that is new, that comes down to us from heaven. It challenges us to think of the inequalities that grieve God for example, the ways our world is set up to enslave people through generational poverty and debt. If we are business owners or employers, the principles of Jubilee cause us to question the normal economic practices in workplaces that view people as commodities. And we consider instead what it looks like to commit to them as people who are created in the image of God, who deserve the dignity of a living wage and rest, and freedom. Now, the interesting thing about the practice of Jubilee we read about in Leviticus is that it was so radical, scholars don't seem to agree on whether or not, or to what extent, it was actually ever practiced. And I think the reality is that the way of life God call, that God calls us into is often criticized as being impractical that would never work in the real world, we might say. 
I think when we find ourselves saying those things, we are closer to the kingdom than we may believe. The mission Christ invites us to carry forward with him into our world today, the mission of Jubilee, may seem impossible to live out in the stark realities of our world, yet this is what the Spirit empowers us to do. When Jesus on that morning in Nazareth announced his mission, Luke says he was filled with the power of the Spirit. And the prophet's words Jesus reads emphasizes again, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do these things, to announce and demonstrate the new era of God's favor. So Redeemer, hear this good news. These parts of the world that make living our jubilee principles seem highly impractical. The workplace culture that goes against humanizing practices, the marketplace that is cutthroat and demands human sacrifice, the systems in our world that prey upon the poor to push them into crippling debt. God equips us. God equips us with the creative power of the Spirit to bring release into those places, to innovate with the Spirit new practices that will bring about a new world, that will bring about liberation rather than servitude. I was reading this past week that every day, 79 million Americans choose between paying their medical bills and being able to purchase basic needs like food and shelter. 79 million Americans are having to choose between paying off their medical debts and paying for basic things like food and shelter. 66% of bankruptcies are tied to medical debt. 25% of all US credit card debt is medical debt. And so you may be familiar with these stories. A church in Chicago called Vive Chicago partnered with a nonprofit called RIP Medical Debt to raise $100,000 which in turn paid off $19 million in medical debt in families across Cook County. $19 million of medical debt released across Cook County. The pastor of Vive Chicago, Adam Smallcomb, said in an article that for many people, financial debt is a type of modern-day slavery imprisoning whole families and even generations into cycles of poverty. He said, as the church and as Christians, our mandate, our mandate is to liberate people from all kinds of oppression because only free people can in turn free other people. The year before that, a group of Chicago area churches pooled their efforts, paying off about $5 million in medical debt for Chicago area families. Trinity UCC pastor Otis Moss said at that time that they wanted to see a movement of debt relief, that instead of people being prayed for as individuals, he said, we want to see people relieved of debt so that they can go about their business and realize the dreams that God has placed in their hearts. Do you hear the good news of Jubilee that Jesus announced those years ago? in Nazareth, surging forward into our day-to-day, -day, into the lives of families in Chicago through the action of these churches. 
Do you hear the good news of Jubilee surging into our day through their actions, the message of release from bondage shining into the darkness of debt and despair? Jesus declares this today is the year of the Lord's favor. This is the time of Jubilee. This is the era of God's generous, undeserved, unmerited grace. This is what is being revealed about God, to use the language of Epiphany. And we, as those brought into the mission of God, we are to be little epiphanies. Little epiphanies by the way we live and relate to others and organize our society and our economics and our relationships to reveal by our own spirit-empowered life that the year of the Lord's favor has broken in upon us. Friends, the Spirit of the Lord is upon us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon us by the power of that Holy Spirit who lives within us. Let us go forth into our families, our neighborhoods, our schools and places of work, breaking the rules of who is in and who is out, breaking the rules of who deserves good and who does not, and in so doing, Proclaim liberation for all those living in bondage and God's favor to all people. Amen.